everyone, I'm Sarah Kachansky and welcome to episode 84 of InsureTech Insider. Today we are talking about events insurance. Public events like festivals, concerts and sport matches are a major part of many societies, even if you don't attend. These occasions require extensive insurance taking out in the planning stages, which is just as well really, given how many have had to be cancelled globally since last March. Um, we're going to be talking about what those widespread cancellations have meant for both insurers and the insured. As always, I am not alone. I'm joined today by Nigel Walsh. How are you doing, Nigel? I am very well, thank you. I've just been for a nice walk that's not in the pitch black, so I'm as fresh as a daisy. Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? It's finally getting a bit lighter in the evenings. I mean, I'm still, you know, starting work and finishing work in the dark, but there's there's hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Without join- doubt. Please come back, sunshine. <laughs> Um, joining us are two amazing guests. First up, we have Lizzie Seeger, Head of Contingency at Hiscox. How are you doing today, Lizzie? I'm very well, thank you. Sadly, I haven't just been for a walk. No worries. I think I think it's um, you could have got to grab it in when you can, can't you? But it's uh, it's. I think fresh air is making like a modicum of difference. I'm just trying to make sure I get out there. Yeah, I, I, I think I missed the window between all the rainstorms today. Oh no! Well, um, well, hopefully uh, you can you can uh, find a way to get out and about a bit later on, perhaps. But before we get distracted talking about the weather, because this happens on this podcast because we're British, um, could you tell us a little bit more about your role at Hiscox and uh, and Hiscox's work with event insurance? Yes, I'm the head of contingency at Hiscox. I have been um, at Hiscox for twenty years. I'd like to say I celebrated my anniversary in 2020, but as it was the first week of lockdown. It, um, I'm hesitant to use the word celebration. Uh, contingency is, a, is an interesting class of business, and we write it in two parts at Hiscox. There is one team that writes it within the Lloyds environment, where we see the far bigger events to insure, and we tend to write a smaller share of those, so it's spread around the market, so everyone has a share of the risk. And then we have another bigger team that works in one of our UK offices, and they write the smaller business and they write 100% of each of those risks and they see it either through brokers or directly from the client or through our online facility. Brilliant. Well, it sounds like you'll um, have a lot to add to today's conversation. Um, secondly, making a very welcome return, we have Sophie Winwood. How are you doing today, Sophie? Been for a walk? Any comments on the weather? I was going to say, shall I give my outside update? Because that's the, the most exciting thing of everyone's day at the moment. I went out for a run mid-morning. It was very nice. Um, it was not as icy as yesterday, which felt like a really high risk running experience. Yes, I have to say that I went out for a walk yesterday and I slipped over in spectacular fashion, but I was not the only one. And I refuse to believe it's embarrassing when the conditions are as bad as they are, when everybody is going uh, all over the place. Um, Sophie, can you give us a quick reminder of uh, where, where you work and what it is you do there? Yeah, absolutely. So I work for Anthemus. We are an early stage venture capital fund focusing on fintech and insurtech investments. And I focus solely on um, the industry of insurance and risk management. And um, yeah, this this topic is near and dear to my heart because I am a Glastonbury ticket holder. And the news last week was super sad. So yeah, the news for those who don't know is that it's been cancelled for the second year in a row, um, which is is sad tidings for those who 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 enjoy the festival experience. I have to say, I haven't been to festival in a very long time, but I think at this stage, even I'd give it a go. Like I'm, I'm so desperate to get out and do something interesting that um, uh, I I think you know I mean yeah, why not? Sounds great. Um, so maybe I can join you when it comes back in 2022. All right. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining me today. Let's get on with the show. So um, we're going to start off by explaining how events insurance works. Um, and there's, I, you know, to the best of my knowledge, and I'm going to throw this straight to Lizzie because I think she's a, the most qualified person to talk on this one, perhaps. But events insurance isn't one type of insurance, as far as I understand it. It's made up of, of, of multiple different types of, of policy and, and cover. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. It's a list of different types of insurances that you may or may not choose to buy for your events. Different organisers, different event organisers have different um, risk appetite, basically. So it's divided into usually four parts. And the first part, the easiest part of that is if you're in the UK or certain other countries, employers liability insurance. That's a given by law. You have to have that. So whether if you're a 
event organizer throughout the year, you probably already have that for all your staff and you may just need to extend that for any volunteers or other people you might have working for you at an event that's outside of your normal office location. The other part that's similar to that is the public liability insurance, which is more for the public that are attending your event that you owe them a duty of care. And if you are negligent and leave something out and somebody trips over it, for example, and they come back against you for the damage that they they might do to themselves or they might do to the property, that's where your public liability insurance can come in and help the event organiser out to respond to those claims. The third part of it is equipment cover, which is very simply just straightforward property damage cover. And again, event organisers may choose whether or not they want to buy that. They may not be taking much of their own property. It may already be covered against damage or theft under their normal, say, office policy. Or they may be bringing in a lot of extra equipment for an event and the people who they're hiring that from insist on them buying that property damage cover. So the property damage can cover literally, as it says, the damage to something or theft. The same as if you take your camera on holiday and your travel insurance and you lose your camera or you do damage to your camera. It's exactly that sort of thing. And the final part that is where I really concentrate on is the event cancellation cover. And that is sold to anybody who is organising an event or who has any financial interest in an event. So you don't have to be the organiser. You can be a sponsor, a broadcaster, somebody who's making um, souvenirs for that event. And if the event doesn't go ahead, they're not going to earn the revenue from those souvenirs that they were hoping to sell. And it's written on two parts, basically. You can, if it's a non-profit making event, so the very small events like your wedding or a big birthday party or something like that, you probably wouldn't charge your guests to come to an event like that. So you're not actually earning any revenue out of it. So you just want to ensure the expenses that you are going to spend on it or have spent on it. And if the event can't go ahead, you're going to lose those expenses. So if you want to rearrange your wedding, you'd have to spend them all over again. So the insurance policy will step in and reimburse you for what we call your irrecoverable expenses. So if no one else is willing to give you back what you've spent, then the insurance policy will step in for you. And then for the larger events, if you're actually earning revenue out of an event, then you would probably want to protect your profit so that your profit being the difference between the revenue you're earning and the expenses on organising the event or whatever part you're playing in the event. So that's event insurance in a nutshell. No, no, it's fascinating because the fact that, you know, we've called it events insurance. Um, and in fact, we did a show on, on wedding insurance not so long back. But the fact that it is actually made up of, of, of so many different parts makes it, um, you know, it, it makes it in perhaps much more complex than some other types of, of specific insurance we've looked at the show. Um, Nigel, do you, did you, you wanted to add something there? I was just going to say, I love hearing the breakdown of the individual lines of cover and actually your last point about you know, you can buy it in multiple parts. Do, do, is it more of a question of actually, given this is your, your specialty, is do, do you see this all sold under a single cover and all from one individual part? I mean, I know you mentioned uh, against some of the Lloyds market, you'd either be a lead or a follow on some of those. Um, but do you see all these bundled together? Or is there a risk that you end up with four individual or five individual covers from five different people and then you end up bouncing around as to which one kicks in first? No, because they cover such separate elements of it that there's very rarely an overlap. The smaller events, you would be likely, going back to the, I'll use a birthday party rather than if you've already been discussing weather, weather insurance, you probably want the ease of having one policy. You don't want to go and have to find four different insurers to do four different things. And if you're buying the same policy from one insurer, you would hope there are no gaps where anything could fall between. You know, is it employers? You probably don't have the employer's liability cover if, if it's just your birthday party, unless you're bringing staff in and you're actually employing staff for your massive big birthday celebration. But otherwise, you may not have any property, but you might be given a lot of gifts and you want to insure those gifts before they have a chance to go under your homeowner's insurance. So the majority of smaller events might be written on what we call this package approach. But the bigger events that we insure are very much standalone elements, because if you're insuring a major event with hundreds of thousands of visitors and spectators and participants going through the doors every day, you want a very specific public liability policy. If your stadium can seat 60,000 people, 
it's a very different risk to the sort of risk I want to take on in a small package policy. So you will go to the experts in each of those fields to get your, because your property, if you own the venue, is obviously worth hundreds of millions. So you want to go to a very bespoke property insurer, the same as a bespoke liability insurer, and then you'll come to us for the big event cancellation risks. It's just, I'm just trying to imagine the idea of um, ever being able to have a birthday party big enough where I might need insurance again. I was holding out being able to maybe go to the, the pub <laughs> this year. I mean, my birthday's in May, so, you know, who knows? Um, Sophie, did you did you want to comment there? And then we'll... No we'll... hope. <laughs> Thanks, Nigel. That's really, really chirpy. Sophie, please give us your comment. <laughs> I didn't mean to turn this into a, a grilling session, but I would also like to ask you a question. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, in terms of these bigger events... How, how do you do you um, do you collect data on um, like how do you what are the different sorts of data sets that you collect um, in in terms of you to kind of price the risk and and um, yeah is there is there any sort of alternative data sources that are coming to to the form? We tend to we get a lot of data from the event organisers themselves. If you're insuring the organiser, obviously it depends who you're actually insuring as to what sort of data you're going to get. If you're insuring, if we take one of the major events where you'll have the what I call like the parent sporting organisation, the sporting federation that will award that event to a particular city or country, say every four years, and it depends whether you're insuring that that sporting federation or you're ensuring the local organising committee as to what sort of data you're looking at and what you're going to be given. So a local organising committee will have built up files and files of information to actually go forward with that bid and win the bid and be awarded the games or the event, whatever they're actually hosting. So you get very different information and they tend to be the ones that provide it in terms of how many venues are they going to use, where are the venues, how many people in each of those venues, how many sports, how many rescheduling days you've got. If it rains on that day, can you move that part of it to another day? So it tends to be most of the information will come directly from your insured, whoever you happen to be insuring, but then we will go external for... Um, I mean, one of the most obvious ones at the moment is the Olympics is being held in Japan. The Rugby World Cup was held in Japan last year. And taking Japan just as an example, we will use catastrophe modelling for a location like Japan because it's got a huge earthquake risk and it's got a huge typhoon risk. As if anyone's a rugby fan, they'll have been disappointed at losing a weekend of matches during the Rugby World Cup. So we do use a lot of modelling around the information we get from the event itself. I could ask you questions for hours, but Sarah will kill me, so I won't. <laughs> well, I just, I just want to move us on a little bit to talk about COVID-19, which I know is not everyone's favourite subject, but also to give poor Lizzie a little bit of a, a, a break from the uh, the panel uh, panel interview that she's she's currently facing. Um, <laughs> I mean, um, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna ask this. I'm, I'm gonna come back to you in a minute, Lizzie. But the, um, the question I'm going to ask both Nigel and Sophie first to give you a, a, a breather, Lizzie, is, um, when did you like? So you're obviously a festival goer, Sophie. What, what events did you start to think? Oh no! Oh, this is going wrong. I might not be able to. You know, when, when did we realise that things we had booked weren't going to happen? I'm just wondering when the penny dropped for people. Because obviously, if you had Glastonbury tickets booked, I'm guessing you bought them like 12, 18 months in advance. So when did you suddenly go, oh, this is this is not looking good for me? Or, you know, what what I like to do? I think it took a bit of time because I think even when we went into lockdown, so we went into lockdown in March, I had an ultramarathon booked in um, April in the Azores in Portugal. So they, um, yeah, they were right up until maybe two weeks before. They were like, we're still going to make it happen. It's still going to be fine. You know, okay, they're not letting people into the country and you're going to have to quarantine for two weeks, but we're still going to make this happen. And so I think actually it did take a lot of time um, for the Western world to kind of cotton onto this because we hadn't really dealt with a pandemic before and we just didn't know um, the, the impacts. And then, you know, once once we couldn't even meet one person outside, I thought, well, probably we're not going to be able to have 200,000 people in a field in Glastonbury. Um, and, I, and, and I think right now, and I don't know about you guys, but I can't really imagine when we'll be able to have 200,000 people in a festival. 
Um, and, and, I, and it's a real shame because I think there maybe we might be able to have in the summer, but can Glastonbury plan if they don't have insurance in place so that if it doesn't go ahead, they get reimbursed? No, of course, they're not going to take the hit. So they might as well um, kind of delay it another year. Yeah, I mean, I think I can totally see your point. Um, with that in mind, to, to go back to Lizzie, if she's if she's ready for for another question, um, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things um, that that have come come to the fore when we've been you know talking about insurance and and events and, and what's going on around the world. And one is this this communicable commun I can never get this word right communicable disease coverage. Um, so can you give us um, a quick overview of what that means from your perspective? And then, and then I guess it's kind of, um, how does that, how do we go forward? Like with, with, you know, will those policies start to be, will that start to be incorporated into policies and, and will Sophie get her Glastonbury if, uh, you know, if we, if Glastonbury can get an insurance policy that includes some of these clauses that, that will handle this and potentially any future, uh, breakouts? Well, I only wish I knew the answer as to when events will happen again, because it would solve a lot of my problems on a day-to-day <laughs> basis. But sadly, I, none of us do. Uh, I think the important thing to point out here is that communicable disease, which we define very straightforwardly as a disease that can just be transmitted from one organism to another by means of any other substance or agent. So it's quite a broad definition. It isn't always a covered peril because in our policies, in the bigger policies, insureds can choose if they want to insure some perils or not. So although you're reading about a lot of events being cancelled, even if they had event insurance, it may not actually have covered this specific peril. Mm. So some people looked at the cost of it. And again, going back to basics, our biggest competitor is actually self-insurance when it comes to the cancellation part. A lot of people, these people have been going for decades, never had an issue. Glastonbury, for example, it's been look at the weather conditions it runs in. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of companies, A, don't buy event insurance at all. And secondly, if they have bought event insurance, they might have bought very basic cover. And we in the event insurance industry have had issues with communicable diseases before. So we have had outbreaks of foot and mouth. We've had outbreaks of SARS, MERS, avian flu, swine flu that have all caused us claims in the past. So it was a peril that we were very conscious of and we were very aware could impact events globally. I don't think any insurer, however long we've been doing it, would put our hands on our hearts and say, we never foresaw a lockdown of a year. We certainly mm. looked at 30 days or 60 days and modelled it on those sort of scenarios, but never for a year. So a lot of the events that, as I say, we are talking about don't necessarily have that cover. So will the cover be available tomorrow if suddenly we find a cure for COVID and any other variant of SARS-CoV-2? It's too early to tell because while we're still wrapping up this and nobody knows the cost of this outbreak, and we won't know for many years, it's going to be difficult to see how we can you know, look our capital providers in the eye and say, we're going to give you exactly the same loss this time next year. It's what the solution is for these sorts of perils, I think, has really yet to be decided. And whether it's government intervention, as they did for terrorism with the likes of Poolry and Tria in the States, the future of event insurance, including communicable disease, is at the moment an unknown, I think is the best I can say. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think that is fair. I think that, um, you know, the, the, one of the things I have in the notes here is, is, is talking about, you know, a force majeure and, and to qualify as a force majeure, an occurrence must be unexpected, external and genuinely impossible to overcome. Now, that that does apply, I would say, to the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Um, but, you know, as it says here, that you, you you have to have picked a policy that includes communicable communicable diseases, and and if you didn't do that, then you know you're you're not covered this time round. And and as you say, you know working, you know it's very very hard for the the insurers and the underwriters and and you know and the, the capital providers to to work out whether they can include that in the future or not. Um, uh, Nigel, you wanted to add something, or did you did you have another question? Yeah, it was, it was, it was just a couple of points actually. Because you talked about. Um, how soon did you realise? And, and it was only, I can't remember now, I don't even know what day of the week is. I think it was last week, a week before last. Emma, my wife, said to me, hey, do you realise tonight we should have been at Dua Lipa, uh, a concert in London? So, hey, thanks for thanks for pointing out to everyone that I'm not the uh, 
uh, Glastonbury time. I've never been. I'd like to go. I have been to Reading Festival to surprise you there, Sarah. Uh, dragged along by Mrs. Walsh to see Eminem. Wow. Um, but we were supposed to supposed to see Dua Lipa. I, I, I know, honestly. Uh, even my 11-year-old is, uh, knows the lyrics to Eminem and scares the life out of me. Um, but, the, but the Dua Lipa thing was booked months and months ago when we just started the pandemic. We thought, oh, we'll, we'll be well and truly out of it by January next year. And to Sophie's point, back in September, October last year, maybe we were being optimistic and we we're all down with, you know, lockdown 703. Uh, a load of us booked up to do another ultra cycle ride around London, 160 miles or 155 miles around London in one day. So it was all a good idea at the time. But like you just said about May, it's actually in May. I'm sitting here now going, are they really going to let us out on the road in May when we're at the end of February? They've just decided to not open the school. So I'm actually, on one hand, really nervous it's not going to go ahead. And on another hand going, that would be quite nice to get out of because it was a really bad idea at the time. Um, but we didn't buy insurance for it. None of the, none of the guys and, and folks that are doing it bought insurance for it. And I do wonder, I think of all the concerts or events or theatre things that I've been to over the years as a consumer, you always see at the end of it, would you like to insure this ticket against cancellation or whatever else? I have never, ever purchased that individually. And I think given the fact we've all been through the experience now, I am significantly more likely to buy it if, if it's available. I think the challenge, of course, for Lizzie or anyone else is, you know it's the likelihood of it happening is higher. Therefore, the cost of that insurance is going to go through the roof. Yeah, I mean, it goes from being sort of one pound fifty a ticket to being ten pound fifty a ticket. Um, I actually had I had I had many rugby tickets booked because I'm a I'm a season ticket holder for for the Welsh Rugby Union and um, also theatre tickets. And um, I, whilst I didn't, I haven't lost the money. I think like a lot of other people, I'm now sitting with credit for the Welsh Rugby Union and for the various theatres in London sitting there. Um, and in December, the the theatre emailed me and said, "We've got you know we've got some shows opening. Why don't you use your credit to book some tickets?" And I actually went, "Oh." no I'm not sure about that like I you know I don't want to use the credit and then it get changed again so so I've still got the credit because I, I want the theatres to stay open I'm not gonna and I could ask for that money back and they would give it to me because it was production I was put to see had cancelled but I just sit here thinking when am I next gonna see a rugby game I mean it's, it's, it's been 12 months and that's unprecedented um Sophie sorry I, I waffled on a bit there but you had a point um possibly about ultra marathons again <laughs> no, not about ultramarathons. Although I could talk about ultramarathons for a very long time. So if anyone does want to talk about ultramarathons, my Twitter handle will be at the end. Um, no, what I what I was saying is, what I was going to say around the kind of point about Dua and kind of these events is, I think what would be a really sad outcome of this pandemic is if we start to lose some of the kind of smaller um, you know, theatre productions or new music um kind of uh venues and bands because because of this continued cancellation they just they can't um financially stay open whereas i imagine julie is going to be fine <laughs> like you'll be able to see her at some point and i and i think instagram at the moment and <laughs> frankly she's on a beach somewhere but making us all very jealous yeah, we're not going to worry about julie but <laughs> but one of the, the kind of great things about the uk is the diversity of talent across music and across theater and and I, I know that they kind of there was a Guardian, a Guardian article recently that was saying the government is 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 trying to work on on kind of putting together an, an insurance um, kind of fund for these these um, kind of events, but that they need to have they need to know the date that it, that that um, that it's going to kind of everything's going to come back on on online, and it's like well. Well, that's not insurance. Then, if it if you know if you if you if you know it's going to go ahead, then what are you insuring against? So it is we're in this such such yeah. a difficult position, and I know we're kind of throwing money left, right, and centre. But yeah, I I mean I, I I do agree with you. I think um, I think there's there's a huge amount to be lost. You know, I think also you know things even things like pubs. Um, but uh, but to, just to, to to sort of close out this section, um, Lizzie. Can can I still buy event insurance if I'm optimistic and think right? You know, I am going to go ahead and I am going to put on. I was going to say a rugby game, but also an ultra marathon or an ultra cycle marathon or whatever it is that Nigel does. If if you if you're Absolutely. the organizer, yeah, one of those events. Can I still buy events insurance? And 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 you know, are, are there any changes? 
The, the main change is, as I said earlier, communicable disease was not a standard covered peril. You'd buy it back as an option. So everyone at the moment has reverted to you cannot buy cover for communicable disease. I likened it to someone I was talking to the other day. I said, even when we come out of this next lockdown, God knows if we go back into another one, it's a bit like going to your household insurance saying, I've got this lovely thatched cottage, but I'm up in the loft and I've got loads of candles burning and the windows open. So will you insure me against fire? And it's very much like, well, it might not catch fire, but there's a pretty good chance the wind might change direction and it could catch fire. So it'll be very much like that for us when we come out of this lockdown. COVID is still out there. Mm. And could there be another variant that doesn't respond to the vaccine? So I think it's going to be a long time until for this particular disease that anyone, any insurer is going to be confident in doing some very big events. I know people are looking at giving some cover, say, for um filming an advert or the small films that have now been filmed in bubbles, they're giving a small amount of cast cover should one of the cast members catch COVID and you have to stop filming for two or three days. I think that's about the limit that people are willing to do currently because you are, you can manage that risk. You put the people in a bubble and they're tested umpteen times and then they can get the film completed in two or three days. But if it comes to a big event um there's, there's been a lot of season ending events in the States when they finish the baseball season or the soccer season and they hired these massive resort places in Florida and just put more in a bubble there and did that. There are thousands of people involved in that. You saw the Formula One Grand Prix continuing around the world to try and give COVID cover or any communicable disease cover for an event like that right now is difficult. But you can ensure the event for any other peril. So if it's in an earthquake zone or a wind zone or, or rain on some events, yes, all that cover is absolutely still available. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's um I still think it's a it's a brave soul who put goes to put on a, a an event but um but you know you you just never know. And I think the idea of the the point about self-insurance is, is a really interesting one as well. Um I'm just going to um ask Sophie a quick question and then we'll we'll, we'll go for a quick break. But just we're going to talk about the future events insurance more broadly in the second half. But just off the top of your head from what Lizzie said, does this kind of inspire you as an investor to think right, well as an investor and an event lover, what can you know is anybody out there doing anything interesting? Do you think this is a great opportunity for for you know smaller companies startups to think right how do we how do we creatively do this so that we can um, offer you know support and cover to those to those you know events or you know maybe not Glastonbury but to Lizzie's point a small theatre you know a, a small pub that puts on music or comedy or whatever is it does this, does this sort of thing make you think okay all is not lost there's an opportunity here I think yeah I think so and I think one of the reasons um, Lizzie while I was why I was asking you about data in in, in the first bit was I think there's a real opportunity to um for an embedded insurance proposition with events management because i think um from what i've heard actually organizing events is still super manual it's like interacting with loads of different parties it's such an amazing use case for a tech platform and then if you kind of uh, trojan horse your way in with a tech floor platform that helps you manage um your event planning interact with suppliers um deal with delays then actually you've collected a robust amount of data um, to be able to then offer a policy that's more data-driven. And that will um, hopefully allow you to offer it at um, you know, uh, not, not too high of a premium. And, and also kind of maybe go down some of the risk mitigation, risk managing, as well as just being there when something goes wrong, being able to say, you know, I've, I've collected data across multiple different events and I see that X, Y and Z goes wrong here, here and there's delays. Um, I mean, like Lizzie said, it's, it's hard because a lot of events will go off um, and they won't be you know, cancelled or there won't be too many things going wrong. But I think there is an interesting um, play there. And I would I would love to hear from anyone who's 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 tackling it. <laughs> yeah. Sophie's DMs are wide open. <laughs> I just really quickly, we, 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 we had on the show before with Sarah and I around online events. I know we're talking about physical events here as well, but actually the whole world of online events where, you know, I did a session this week with 100 plus people on it or there's other big events with thousands of folks on it. Where you have those and the provider goes down, I think that sort of thing is also really interesting um, go, going forward as well as we look to events that have moved to a virtual world and how we protect against that. I think that I was going to bring that up, but that I think that is definitely an interesting area because it's just a, like a completely new set of risks. 
Everyone is working on that currently because obviously I think it's going to sadly be quite a long time before we revert fully to 100% physical events and very much the corporate business events will be either virtual or will be what we call a hybrid mix of half virtual, half in person. And I think that might continue for a long time, particularly for international events. So yes, we have all been working at a pace to understand the technology and it's still an event cancellation product, but the, the triggers for the cancellation are obviously very different to um, your venue being flooded, for example. All right. Well, um, we're just going to leave it there and take a quick break, but we will be back very soon. Looking to sharpen your competitive edge when it comes to design? Join hundreds of subscribers using 11FS Pulse to solve their users' problems and get to market faster. Discover over 4,000 user journeys from global brands like Revolut, Curve, and Soldo, and learn how to design winning customer propositions with our expert analysis. Get started today by visiting bit.ly forward slash get a pulse demo. Okay, on with the show, and I'm going to hand over to Nigel to ask the questions in this part. Fantastic. Thanks, Sarah. Um, I guess the next part of the, the, the session is really all about how we engage and talk to clients. Uh, and part of this, I guess, is driven by um, people's love. I say that with a smile on my face, you can't see it, or lack of love for insurance. Now, obviously, on the call, we all love insurance. We're all deeply passionate about what it is and what it provides. But the average Joe, unless you're obviously an event organizer and buying it, doesn't really pay enough attention to it. I think in a study we did mid-pandemic last year, I think most consumers heard from every single person, um, even their hairdressers and nail salons and everything other than insurer. So I guess, Lizzie, if I can start with you, I mean, how do you go about talking to your clients about what they've got, what they've not got? I'm I'm also conscious it's a very uh, uh, contentious subject. So, So... I mean, even in general, we look at even things like flood, where I think insurers are brilliant these days and they're rapid response units and that sort of stuff. What, what do we do differently these days about talking to customers? I think for the area of business that I'm involved in on the very big events, we talk directly to our customers, but through their brokers. So when you're organising, you're effectively an enormous business when you're running an event and you need a specialist broker who can help you decide what cover do you need, what don't you need, and we negotiate through the broker. We can cite plenty of claims examples to what's happened to previous events and why they should buy event cancellation insurance, but at the end of the day, they're employing a professional broker to give them that advice. Uh, And I guess a good example there is things like Wimbledon, which was one of the um, more well-known and publicised events that got cancelled, but also equally had pandemic cover at the outset and I think that was broked as well from memory. Yeah it's been all over the press that and they published in their report and accounts this year that they received an insurance payout but that will be down to the insured and their broker to discuss their needs and whether they feel they want to pay the additional premium to have those particular perils covered and they made a very sound decision. I think they've been paying for about 20 years, though, from memory. For, from what I read, at least, I'm not, I haven't got the facts, but from what I read on, on, on the press, it looked like they'd been paying it for 20 years. And it was one of those predictions that you always make and it never comes true. And then it's there when you need it, which was really nice to see. I think great for the industry as well, actually. I, I guess on the, on the topic of claims and um, cancellations, there's been lots of press around things like cancellation of Olympics or postponement of, of Olympics and and I think it's still in the news about whether it will go ahead this year or not. Where do you even start? I mean, how much? How would you even estimate the cost of a claim um, for something like that or a large event like Glastonbury? Well, the cost of a claim depends on at what stage the cancellation, the decision to cancel or postpone is actually made. Because like any event, whatever you're organising, you start paying money a long way out to organize the event but you don't start paying the really big numbers until very close to the event so an economic decision can be made further out that is going to be cheaper for you as the organizer whether or not you're insured or not if you are insured then it's to the benefit of the insurer that the earlier decision the cheaper the cost of the cancellation will be if you cancel the event the day before then it's probably going to be pretty much a total loss you're going to lose all your revenue because you have to reimburse everyone for all their tickets. 
and everyone who's involved, you're going to refund whatever they've given you. And your expenses are 100% incurred. No one's going to give you any flexibility on, on this contract or that contract. The, the people have ordered the champagne in, they've put the flowers in the venue, they've done everything and they want to get paid for it. Whereas if you make the decision to cancel earlier in the year, and I think it was probably about three or four months before Wimbledon that that cancelled, you'd expect to see savings there because they wouldn't have actually been having to pay all their bills for a relatively early cancellation rather than hanging on and hanging on and hoping you can still host an event. And then if you have to cancel it the day before or the week before, make a last minute decision, it's a lot more costly for everybody. Can I ask a quick question on that? Um, What about if you postpone it? Like, like when you, so when you, when you, um, the Olympics was postponed, right, rather than cancelled to start with. So I'm slightly confused now because I think the 2020 Olympics are going to happen in 2022, which is going to leave me completely baffled for for the cycle ever after. But if you, if you're saying I want to postpone it rather than cancel it, how does that affect cover that you have? Like, do you have to start again from scratch or does it roll through? Like, what, is there any loss to the insurer if, if, if an event is postponed? Yes, because the insured will still incur some expenses in postponing it. They may get a deal from the venue. The venue might say, no, I'm happy for you to use it next year rather than this year. And I'm not going to charge you any more. Or you might, the venue might say, no, I'm going to charge you something for this year because I held it for you and I'm going to charge you a bit more next year. So postponements are generally a lot cheaper than a cancellation because you are saving on a lot of the costs. So a lot of costs that people would have incurred for the Tokyo Olympics last year, they can carry over those costs for the reschedule event this year. So that brings the claim down quite considerably. So although you've had to refund all the ticket holders for for the Olympics last year, you would hope that you might still be able to sell some tickets for this year. So again, you're generating a bit of revenue rather than nothing. So again, Mm. that brings your claim down. Or if you're not insured, it brings your own cost down as the organiser. Mm. I, I'm not wanting to state the obvious, but I think the the day Glastonbury was cancelled, I was watching the news where they had the one of the leads from the Association of Outdoor Events or something like that on, online talking about actually because Glastonbury was so big, it needed a a long lead time to do it because it costs millions and millions to put together and there's loads of logistics in it. Whereas if I'm organising a barbecue for all you guys to come around on a Sunday, actually I can call you on Saturday and go, kids are don't come around and, and there's no impact and there's no... There's no concern. I, I guess I'm going to ask a random question here, and I'm not sure we have the answer to it in, in this group, but I, and it's, it's related back to the Olympics because where you've got a music event or a social event and it's easy, I get it. It's relatively straightforward. But where you've got Olympics, where you've got an athlete at their peak condition, how do you ensure someone that says, I am of the age, I've got you know two years left in me to, to, to be at my peak, and after that point, because the Olympics has moved out, I've now missed my opportunity. It's not necessarily event insurance, but can I, I don't know, do athletes insure themselves in that way against events that move out? Or is that are we completely way off topic? Sounds yeah. like an opportunity for Sophie to explore. Gritty niche, I would say. <laughs> and I think it's it depends if they're actually, are they earning any revenue out of it? As amateur athletes, they're probably not, but they probably do have sponsorship. It's probably more of a concern, do they need to raise more money to be able to compete the following year? In which case, there's no reason that they couldn't buy a cancellation policy for themselves against the cancellation of the Games. But what do you base the sum insured on? What are you actually insuring? Is it them having to go out and find another £20,000 of sponsorship or something like that and their inability to do that because the event's been cancelled? You can tie, If you have an interest in an event, you can buy some sort of event cancellation policy for it. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, there's, there's startups out there, insurtech startups like Players Health, um, that are really interesting that cover you for um, injury for athletes to get back on track as quickly as possible. So I think there's people looking at it in different angles. I just wondered if uh, if you've been pushed out, maybe just go into a different age category. I don't, I don't know. Uh, really, really intriguing. Um, what else do we do around communication and, and stuff like that? Is there anything else that we should be doing? Or is it is it a case of um, uh, insurers just changing the way in which we engage more broadly going forward? I think something, a key thing that's sort of come out of, of this from, from what we've seen is that, you know, we go on and on and on about like, policy documents being easier to understand and you know we need to make things in in real English and we need to make it so that people people get it uh you know what they're covered for but I I think what's becoming more apparent is that 
knowing what you're covered for, actually, a lot of people are generally covered for the things that they generally think they are. Obviously, there are some exceptions to that. But I think the bigger problem is possibly people don't understand what the risks are they face. So I know what I'm covered for, but I don't know what I don't know the unknown, if that makes sense. And I wonder if there is something to be said or uh, for insurers working harder to help people understand their individual risks. So, you know, you, you fill in the form, whether that's on a website or a comparison website, and it says, okay, well, this is probably the right amount of cover you have. But even doing something like home insurance can be incredibly baffling. Like, you know, what kind of lock do you have? Here's six different locks. And then you go out there with the laptop and you go, well, I think it's, I think it's this one. I'm not quite sure. Um, you know, I, I don't know why that's important. And I don't know what, what the risk is of having that different type of lock. So, you know, I, 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 it's very hard for me to understand what I'm, what I'm covered for if I don't know what the risks are. So just on the communication point, I think that there is something to be said for insurers trying harder to help people understand what risks they're, covered, they're exposed to to start with and then selling them policies. Um, Sophie, you had your hand up and I went on a bit. Yeah, no, I think... Um... I feel like an interesting point on that is you for home insurance, you don't really um, understand it or even get it until something really drastically goes wrong, like a flood or a fire or something like that. And I feel like the pandemic is that for event insurance, which is you don't really think about the risk, really kind of these big risks of stuff going wrong. You might think of kind of small little ones, but actually could this be a good thing where it's like, well, these insane things can happen and they can can impact completely putting on an event. And will that make you think about getting these insurance? Will that make that conversation um, a little easier, given that we've got a concrete example that's that's seen such um, yeah such a massive Im- impact? And I, I was just thinking, I wonder if there is a risk of. Um, companies putting on events when they don't necessarily think it's safe just so that they're almost putting the onus back on the the attendee and being like look we're just going to put this event on um people aren't going to feel comfortable maybe this year maybe this summer but we can't keep delaying it maybe we've only said that um their their ticket can carry on for a year and so we're just going to put it on and then we'll know that people won't turn up but they can't get a refund because we've, we've put on the event. I don't know if that, that is a risk that, that might happen this year. Well, most events will need a licence to be held, yeah, over a certain number of people. And local councils or whoever is issuing that licence just won't be issuing them while the government is still um, holding lockdowns or, or the tier approach. So I think you'll only get the illegal events, which obviously we can't ensure, um, <laughs> that will actually be held at the moment. I, I, I'm really pleased to, to to hear that you're not ensuring the illegal events. That's great. That's great news. <laughs> uh, I, I guess link, linking back to the previous comment around communications and how we engage customers. Do you, do you think customers? And actually, it might be slightly different for your buyers because they're all very experienced buyers. But do you think customers are now more aware of risk or more cautious in general when they approach you about event insurance? Well, to be perfectly frank, we haven't had that many approaching us now because no one's planning their events. I think right. someone said earlier that people aren't willing to spend a lot of money on events now because they can't ensure the one peril that is likely to cancel it at the moment. So until we really start seeing a bigger number of events coming in, it's very hard to know what approach they're going to be taking. But I, I would say I would expect event organisers to be more aware of the possibility of an impact on their event that they hadn't thought about we try to make our documentation and interesting in terms of these are the sort of things. Why should you buy event insurance? Come and buy your event insurance from us. And we give examples of really random things as to what can go wrong. But I think this is the ultimate one that, as I said, we were aware of. We have been modelling. We have been thinking about. We have been charging for. It's what's going to be the next issue. Not so much this one now. Everyone now really understands what a virus can do, a pandemic can do, and a global shutdown can do. What's the next peril? And I always say that when I'm talking to people about these sort of events, what do you think could cancel it? We all know the obvious. What's the difference? You come up with other ideas. I think as well to that point that we can't assume this is the last pandemic. Like if you if you follow any of the um 
you know, not to, I, I, I've tried to avoid doom scrolling, but if you if you follow any of the the sort of more uh, in depth thought pieces, you know, we we really should have seen this coming, and not necessarily like you know the four people on this call, but but the the, the wider world really should have seen this coming. And I think, you know, we, you know, what's the next thing? We have to assume there will be another pandemic of this scale. And then, as you say, Lizzie, there will probably be something else that comes along. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we, we've talked about it a bit before on the show, but, you know, flooding and, and, and fire risks and climate change related risks have got to be hugely up there with how you start um, planning for, for, you know, uh, events insurance. Because you, to your point, yes, Japan is an, is an earthquake center and potential tsunami risk. And But Glastonbury's in the Somerset levels and Glastonbury hasn't actually ever been cancelled for flooding, I don't think. But there's a damn good chance it might be in the future. And, and, and all those kind of things, how that do you even start considering it? Sorry, Sophie. Sorry. Well, look, uh, let, let, let me finish up with the last question um, before we hand back, Sarah. So, and, and it really is around almost crystal ball time, folks. How do we get our crystal ball out and look at what the events industry looks like um, in the future? And I'm going to give a couple of things that I think might add a little bit of hope. So um, InsureTech Connect, which is a big insurance conference in Vegas, has just announced it's going ahead on the, I think it's the 4th uh, or early October, yeah, 4th or 6th of October in Las Vegas in person. I read the other day that uh, holiday bookings for EasyJet were up 250%. I read that the cruise um, uh, holiday, other holiday bookings with TUI were up 145%. So it feels like confidence is returning. Do we see the same thing in the events industry going forward? And, and will they pick up as people get vaccinated? It's rolled out to the over 80, 75, 70s, and eventually gets to people as young as us. So do do we see all that uh, coming back to life soon? I'm gonna I'm gonna play the optimist here and just say yes. I think they will. Um, I think that actually um, there's a lot of sort of technological advances in terms of kind of sanitary tracking and measuring distances and and I think there's going to be some cool things like temperature measuring that that kind of actually allow these sort of events to to go ahead in a in a safe way even if we aren't um completely through covid so um yeah even though glastonbury isn't going ahead this year i do think we'll, we'll more and more start to see these events come back um even if it's not in the form that that we're used to i agree with sophie i'm behind her I think it's definitely going to happen. People are being optimistic. People do want to go out and about and meet people again. And I think particularly in the business world, in conferences and exhibitions and those types of things, meeting people that you do business with, the social capital of that, of getting to know people you're trading with is worth its weight in gold. As good as these sort of calls are and doing your conferences over Zoom or whatever. And I've seen some amazing ones, some medical conferences take place with all these demonstrations and things like that as well, which are incredible. But they're still not quite the same as having the chat with somebody after a, a speech or something. And I think people really want to get back doing that as quickly as possible. And countries like the UAE have had some amazing developments in terms of measuring the distances and bleepers, how close you are to somebody and all of those sort of, that sort of technology, I think, will really play a part in getting them going again. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I'm 100% with you and Sophie. But before I hand back to Sarah, I, I'm with you. I can't wait to get back out of the terraces of the football, of the football pitch with the kids and watch the, the games or to concerts or to see Elton John and all those other good things. If they cancel a bike ride, you know what? I'm not so worried. But um, what do you think, Sarah? I'm going to hand back to you. I, uh, I'm a little bit more cautious because, I, uh, first of all, I think some of those holiday bookings are, are, are blind optimism and there is a difference between considered optimism and blind optimism. Um, I, I, I think it's really hard in the UK right now because we are really suffering. And I, I, I don't mean, I mean, we as a nation, like we are in hard lockdown and we are going to be here for at least another two months. And, you know, maybe in March, your kids can go back to school. And then maybe in April, you know, we can, you know, we can get on a train again, but it'll be May, June before we can even consider going to a restaurant. And it'll be the autumn before we can even consider seeing our mates inside. And then we're talking about the whole wave starting again so I think um, I, I think the people will want to go to events and I think they will come back but my I have two points I guess one is I don't think will happen I think 
how quickly it happens will depend very much on where you are and what the experience has been. So we've talked about it, New Zealand, they haven't stopped having festivals and concerts and sporting events because of the way they reacted. So to them, it would be weird if they didn't. You know, Europe has been, you know, different wherever you are, but particularly here in the UK, given so we're so hard hit, it's going to be a lot longer. And I think the other thing that you have to consider is people's behavioural change, because I haven't been in a large crowd for over 12 months. Now, if they said tomorrow we're going to put on a Six Nations game and it's totally safe because we've put all these technologies in place, how many people are A, going to want to go, but B, be in the right frame of mind to be surrounded by that many people again? Like, how are we as human beings going to cope with being in the middle of hundreds, if not thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people? And I wonder how, how resilient people are. I don't know that they, they won't be, but, I, you know, from my experience, I just had a I, – I go to the supermarket and it's too busy and I'm like, oh, there's too many people in the supermarket – I, you know, as I said, I used to go to the stands. I used to go to the Principality Stadium. I used to go to festivals and, and be in the Alexander Palace when it was full. So if I'm already, oh, it's not even the pandemic. It's just there's too many people and they're too close to me. I, I wonder what behavioral change we will see in attendees at events. Um, and that is my two cents. And because I get to finish, I went on a bit long, but there we go. Um, that does wrap up today's discussion. Thank you so much to my guests. Uh, where can our listeners find out more about you, Lizzie? Either on the Hiscox website or on LinkedIn. Um, Sophie, how about you? So um, you can find out more about Anthemus at anthemus.com. Um, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Sophie Winwood. Or um, if you're a startup and you want to have a chat, uh, my email address is sophie at anthemus.com. Or if you're an ultramarathon runner and you want to set up an ultramarathon podcast with Sophie, you can also contact her on Twitter or email. Uh, Nigel, how about you? Where can you be found these days? Uh, LinkedIn or Twitter at Nigel Walsh. And you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kachansky. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at Instec Insiders or our 11FS LinkedIn page. That is 11 colon FS. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, which you can find on Spotify and your other podcast providers. Also, remember to leave us a review. It helps to make the podcast better. Uh, we'll be back very soon. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.